0: and welcome to this episode of Cell and Gene, the podcast. I'm your host, Erin Harris, and I'm excited to talk to my guest for this episode, Dr. Tiffany Chang. She is the clinical development lead hematology at Spark Therapeutics. Dr. Chang, it's a pleasure to have you as our guest on the pod and thanks for your time. Thank you, Erin. So glad to be here. Excellent. So, all right, let's get started. You are a Californian and you have spent time at UC Irvine, UCLA, UCSF, Genentech, and now, though, Spark Therapeutics, which is a Philadelphia based company, as our listeners, I'm sure, know. Explain how your role at Spark Therapeutics works so well given the remote nature of it.
1: Yeah, a great question. Um, I am a Californian through and through, born and raised. Uh, I think. Uh, Born right close to Disneyland, in fact, which I dearly miss during these times. Um, But yeah, I I, I did all my training um, in California, and prior to transitioning from academia to industry, I um, was at UC San Francisco as an assistant professor in um, pediatric hematology and oncology. Um, And uh, when I made the transition, joined Genentech, which is part of the broader Roche family, um, and and had the opportunity there to work uh, for five years on um, uh, uh, the most recently approved uh, novel therapeutic for um, hemophilia called Hemlibra or emesizumab. Um, and while there, I actually had the opportunity to work um, with a lot of global colleagues based in, in Basel, which was where Roche is headquartered. Um, and so was kind of already uh, very um, in tune with this, this virtual working environment for better or for worse. And um, as, as you and your listeners may know, um, uh, Spark Therapeutics not uh, too long ago also joined the Roche um, family And um, I was part of um, the process, uh, you know, of of that happening and and got to know Spark during that time and and really developed a a deep appreciation for um, not only the scientific expertise, um, of course, in gene therapy and its roots, but also the uh, unique culture um, that was very aligned with what I was used to, certainly at Genentech Roche, which is, um, you know, having this philosophy of following the science, but keeping the patient as their North Star. And so um, an opportunity came up. Uh, you know, in the midst of the pandemic to um, for, for me to take on a role uh, that would allow me some flexibility, join this amazing organization, continue my work in hemophilia, uh, but um, in the next chapter, I, I think, you know, in terms of gene therapy, and um, do so without, uh, you know, having to uproot my my, my life here. And so um, I jumped right in, uh, in the middle of the pandemic. And so far, you know, I think like many of us, we've had to adapt and be really creative in, in our working styles, but it's been able to work. Um, I've um, I've scheduled time um, one-on-ones with a lot of my team to, to build that culture and community. I think that's the piece that's challenging when we're not able to, to meet um, in person, but I definitely look forward to uh, the moment where I can visit Philly. Uh, I might have to reach out to you and get some ideas on where to go. Um, I have to visit the Rocky statue <laughs> oh, <of laughs> and, and try some cheesesteaks. But yeah,
0: <laughs> of course. Well, and I think you're uh, I, I'd be happy to be your tour guide. That's no problem. And uh, one of the I think you're you know, your position with certainly Spark now is, is right on time, given what was recently announced about the ongoing uh, clinical trial of investigational SPK-8011, which I want to talk about for a little bit. Um, So talk to us about, so SPK-8011 for hemophilia A, it's the largest phase one, one and two gene therapy trial in this disease to date. And I want to know a little bit about the data that was released and what was presented and why this is just so critically important for patients with hemophilia A?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, so so hemophilia A is an X-linked uh, bleeding disorder due to the deficiency or dysfunction of a clotting factor, uh, factor eight. Um, and SPARC is investigating use of an adeno-associated viral vector uh, called Spark, or SPK8011 to target hepatocyte factor 8 expression with the goal of a one-time disease-altering therapy. And that's really the promise of gene therapy, a mm-hmm. one and done. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were really pleased to report uh, safety and efficacy data from that ongoing phase 1-2 study of SPK8011. Um, that demonstrated multi-year stable hepatocyte factor 8 expression following gene transfer. So specifically, uh, the data demonstrated that administration of SPK8011 in uh, patients with hemophilia A resulted again, as I mentioned, in sustained factor 8 expression. And that was in 16 of the 18 participants with up to four years of follow-up. So a good amount of time in terms of long-term follow-up in these patients. Um, and across all the four doses that we evaluated, there was a 91.2% reduction in annualized bleeding rate um, post uh, gene therapy administration. I mean, and that's important because bleeding is essentially the hallmark of um, hemophilia A's disease. Um, and there was also a corresponding 97% reduction in what we call an annual infusion rate. And that is the need for um, hemophilia A patients to infuse themselves with Exogenous factor VIII to prevent bleeding, and so that was really exciting because it really um, was proof of concept that if we can achieve sustained factor VIII expression, it would result in real, really clinically meaningful um, functional benefit in reduction of bleeds and infusions. Um, And as you mentioned, this is this is indeed the largest phase one two gene therapy study in hemophilia A to date, with 18 patients dosed up to four years. and the data really reinforce the ability of AAV gene therapy to tar- effectively target hepatocytes and, again, achieve that stable and durable expression um, with an acceptable safety profile to boot.
0: Excellent. Excellent. A lot of really critical success and data out of the gate. And what? let's talk about what, what's next then for this trial. What's on the roadmap?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, you know I, I mentioned before that this is one of the largest it is the largest phase one two gene therapy studies um and 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 um one of the reasons for that is because um we at sparker are really committed um to uh, develop gene therapies that are not only um, safe and effective but have adequate dur uh, predictability and durability at the lowest effective dose, importantly, with an optimal immunomodulatory regimen. So as as many of your listeners may know, um, one of the challenges um, that we've seen across various gene therapy programs using this AAV platform is uh, a capsid immune response or an immune response um, against the the, the viral vector itself. And that could impact, of course, efficacy. And so we want to avoid any kind of loss of efficacy. Um, And so it's really... Important um, that we define the right um, regimen to to prevent any kind of um, immune response that could affect efficacy. So that's what we're really trying to do in this last step, just ahead um, of phase three. So we really remain focused and. Optimizing the dose and the immunomodulatory regimen, really getting it right in phase one two, um, ahead of you know enrolling that that larger group of patients in phase three, which should be confirmatory. Um, so so that is that is our hope right now um, and our next steps. Good, great. Uh, hemophilia
0: A itself. So we're talking about a rare disease, and I want to make sure that our listeners understand or get to know some of what perhaps are the misconceptions of hemophilia A or or perhaps the unknowns can you talk us through a little bit of that like what might the listener not know about hemophilia A
1: yeah, yeah, really good question. Um, you know, as I mentioned, it's it's oftentimes you hear about hemophilia A as a as a, um, genetic disorder. Again, you know, we're developing gene therapies for it, um, and and it is it's in, by and large an inherited um, uh, bleeding disorder. Um, but actually, one of the misconceptions is that it is always an inherited genetic trait, um, and and actually the fact is that up to a third of cases. In hemophilia. Hemophilia is actually caused by a a spontaneous mutation, a new mutation. So some patients don't ever have. Um, have a family history because it's something new that developed there. Um, another, another misconception um, that I often hear is that because it's inherited on the X chromosome, so it's typically passed on from mother to son, there's this myth that only boys or men have hemophilia. A. Mm-hmm. And the truth is that though hemophilia is much more common in men, women can actually have it as well. Um, about a, th- a what third of women who care are, are actually carriers of hemophilia. And, and they expect, bleeding symptoms. Um, So so there's actually a a misconception there as well. Um, And then in regards to misconceptions around gene therapy and hemophilia, I think a big one is that um, there's a myth that gene therapy research uh, for hemophilia and other diseases is, is very recent. It's a recent idea, hasn't been frequently studied. But the fact is that scientists have been investigating and evolving the field for more than 50 years uh, and to date, I think in a recent 2020 publication, um, we now have over 3,300 patients that have received AAV-based gene therapy over the past two decades. So, um, you know, a lot of new emerging excellent data or, or, you know, things are bearing fruit right now. So it's it's on people's minds, but there's been a lot of work um, done that has really paved the way in the past several decades.
0: Sure. I'll say I, it's certainly, I think you shed a lot of light on. Definitely some misconceptions, certainly about the longevity of the research and development that has been going on with hemophilia A, mm-hmm. uh, given that it spanned been decades. Um, what do you want our listeners to
1: walk away understanding about hemophilia A? Yeah, so um, I, 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 the first thing that pops into my mind actually is um, really about the community. Um, I, I mentioned before, my, my background is in pediatric hematology and oncology, and I have, I've had the privilege of working with so many different communities, but I've been so impressed by the resilience of the hemophilia A community. And for your listeners who may not know the history, um, you know, this community has undergone um, a lot of tragedy in the, in the eighties. You know, a lot of them, the mainstay of treatment was really plasma derived clotting factors. So again, they don't, their bodies don't make factor eight. So they used to, um, you know, infuse, but Donated plasma that had factor eight in it. Well, mm-hmm. um, when you think about the 80s, that's really when we were emerging. Uh, a lot of the data around HIV and transmission through blood products was only starting to emerge, and so as you can imagine, um, you know, a lot of gener- a full generation, many many hemophilia patients were lost um, due to HIV um, mm-hmm. at, during that time. So the community really banded together and um, are are such strong advocates and supports of each other and for themselves and are extremely knowledgeable. So I I think that's one thing definitely to take away this incredible community. And then I think the other thing for me um, is that it's just such an exciting time for them right now based on the quickly evolving treatment landscape, novel approaches. There's um, non-factor replacement, as I mentioned, gene therapy being explored. Um, it, the gene therapy, I, I really think of as you know the holy grail in a lot of ways because it's really aimed at determining whether a new or functional gene can be used to restore the function of an inactivated or mutated gene, providing a, a functional cure. Um, the one and done. And so there are a lot of trials underway right now investigating um, these new gene therapies and its potential application for hemophilia, such as the SBK eighty eleven, And we're just really excited by um, the the, the big potential right now that we have uh, for the hemophilia A community.
0: Sure, sure. Now, you bring up a really good point. Um, Talking about the the really bright future and potential for the hemophilia A community, I want to talk a little bit about your role as clinical development lead hematology, specifically bright future ahead. What does your role look like, perhaps in say three to five years? Where where
1: will we be? Yeah, um, uh, I think about that a lot. I think that um, you know, as exciting as everything is right now, there are still questions, of course, that remain. Um, I think the gene therapy space is a real burgeoning field, and the science is moving at such a fast pace. Looking, I'm really looking forward to tackling important remaining questions and challenges. You know, How do we treat patients with pre-existing neutralizing AAB antibodies? Can we redose patients if necessary? How do we expand eligibility to younger age groups? Again, this is an mm. inherited disease. Right now, mm. we're mainly testing um, uh, people who are 18 years and older. Um, so what, what does it look like with a growing liver? You know, there, there's a lot of um, um, areas that we have yet to explore that it is important to explore. And then I think, um, you know, one of the reasons I joined SPARK is is I wholeheartedly believe in the promise that gene therapy holds, not only for hemophilia, but mm-hmm. for a variety of genetic blood disorders. Again, as a hematologist, I I um, I see so much potential in this platform and its applications beyond hemophilia. So I'd love to see the platform extend to help to tackle other um, inherited bleeding disorders. Um, and then finally, I'd say I'm you know it, it's a really exciting time um, for gene therapy for hemophilia, but also for Spark as an organization. And I'm just really thrilled to be part. Um, of, of Spark as we as we build a reputation as a leader in the gene therapy space. So a lot to tackle in the next three to five years, but hopefully I'll be invited back and, and share some updates with you. <laughs> oh, of, of course. Absolutely.
0: And we're looking forward to having you back on to discuss those updates. So, and as our listeners probably know, at this point, at the end of every episode, I uh, ask my guests the same question to give the listeners a little bit of a better understanding of who my guests are when they're not doing what they do, uh, Monday through Friday and perhaps on the weekends. So, (laughs) but, uh, but here's that
1: question. Describe for us your ideal Saturday. Oh, that's a great question. Um, and uh, you know, I think like many of us uh, who have children, so I, I have a young child. He's five years old, starting kindergarten this year, which oh. I'm dreading, <laughs> um, but I'm still excited by as well. Um, so I, you know, an ideal Saturday is really spending time with my family, especially with my son, James, um, and, and being in California, I'm, I'm really fortunate. I live in Marin, um, so the Marin headlands, the, the, the there's just a ton of hiking um, where I am. So we like to explore the outdoors, especially during the work week. I'm... I'm in my office quite a bit. So a change of scenery is very welcome. Um, but, the, you know, the pandemic actually, um, uh, you know, ha- I think for, for many of us um, have has given um, an opportunity for us to explore hobbies. And one of the things I picked up actually is karate. So my son wow. started karate. Yes. You know, and it's it's a it's, it's been a lifelong dream of mine. Like I've always wanted to do it. And I just kept putting it off. Um, and saying there's no time, I'm, I'm I'm too old to start. But I watched him as he started, and I thought, you know what? Let me let me let me try this. Like you know, yes. it's never too old, right? So right. I joined, and I am a proud white belt. And at one point, he actually outranked me because he had three stripes, <laughs> and I only had two. So he would say, <laughs> "Mommy, you have to bow in front of me." And So <laughs> right. it was uh, it was really fun. Um, but it, it's 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 been such a nice. Um, uh, uh, you know, like an activity for me where I can really unplug, um, sure. and, and, but also share that with my son as, as yes. we both learn. So that's been super fun. So yeah. That is so exciting
0: and congratulations on your white belt. Uh, congratulations <laughs> to your son who's moving right along. Uh, Great. and that's it. That sounds like what a wonderful thing to do together and experience together and good luck with, uh, to James with his, uh, kicking off kindergarten uh, soon. And I will tell you from having two elementary school age children myself, but having been through the kindergarten thing uh, twice, somewhat recently, um, it is much harder on you than it is on them. I've learned. (laughs) you know, you glad kind of to hear. drop, drop them off and keep a brave face and then kind of, you know, yep. collect yourself in the car afterwards.
1: <laughs> I hear you. Well, I see you, you've emerged on the other side, you know, very well intact and happy. So I, I appreciate that advice. Yes. Yes. Um, he will. He will
0: do wonderfully. I'm sure. Thank you. It's, uh, but good luck, good luck to both of you and, and to your whole family as you, as you start the, the schooling years. Cause uh, it's, it's a lot of work on the Yeah, same to you.
1: (laughs) Same to you. I think, uh, let's hope we can keep our kids, you know, in school. And, uh, I know that's another area that we, you know, had to be really creative, all the parents and teachers. And
0: yeah. Right. um, I said, they are anyone in education and healthcare right now for that matter, uh, anyone in education and healthcare, they are, they are saints. So, uh,
1: Totally. so to you,
0: thank you for all you do and keep up the us going
1: well thank you and thank you for having me this has been really really great um, I really appreciate uh taking the time you taking the time uh, to ask these great questions and, and to your listeners for for taking the time to to have a listen at what we do at spark absolutely and and that that dr Chang is right that wraps us up for the
0: end of we're at the end of this episode of Cell and Gene, the podcast. So thanks again to Spark Therapeutics, Dr. Tiffany Chang for her time and insight, and we will see you next time.